Welcome to the Christian Life Podcast. At Christian Life, we're all about making disciples of all generations. If you'd like to connect with us and find out more about what's going on here, you can find us on Facebook at CLC Gridley, and of course on the web at clcgridley.org. We hope that God speaks to you through the message you're about to hear. How many, uh, I'll start with a question, how many of us, we've got a show on TV that we enjoy watching, but maybe our spouse or friends give us a bad time because we enjoy watching? Is anybody, is it, I know it's not just me, okay, we got a couple hands, some of you guys, you're like, I don't even own a TV, that's of the devil, okay, well, I'm not disagreeing with you, let's be real, a lot of us, we've got TVs all over the place, I mean, it's just crazy, but my wife makes fun of me. She gives me a bad time because I am guilty. I have got, uh, I am big on survival shows. I think I've watched just about every show ever recorded on how to survive in Alaska. Why? I have no clue. But if I ever ended up in Alaska, I would still die, but I would die slightly educated on how to survive in Alaska. I mean, you guys, some of you are laughing, and some of you are just sitting there like you have no clue what I'm talking about. Guys, this is a major accomplishment in my life. There are like a hundred shows on Alaska, and I think I've watched almost all of them, which tells you I apparently have way more time than I thought I had. But there's all kinds of crazy survival shows. It's all kinds of them. I mean, there's, there's this show called Alone, which, as the title says, you have to survive alone. Okay, so you've got the survival side, but then you have to, there's the isolation side. Then there's shows like Dual Survivor, which, as you guessed it, they have to survive with two people. Okay, and there's I, I mean, countless others that are so ridiculous that I can't even remember all the names of them. And then there's one particular guy by the name of Bear Grylls, okay? I don't, know, I don't know if any of you know who Bear Grylls is. This guy, he is the most ridiculous survival expert ever. But this guy, he is a, uh, he's a, obviously he's a survival expert. He is this like former military guy, and he's like, you know, all fit and stuff. He's one of the guys that doesn't have a belly, so he can like tuck his shirt in without looking ridiculous. He goes off into the wilderness, and he like, sometimes he'll take celebrities with them and laugh at them because they can't do the dumb stuff that he does. But this guy's got the most ridiculous way of surviving in the woods ever. I mean, he'll literally get done having a conversation about how dangerous it is. Like, right now, if you were to slip and roll your ankle, you could die because you couldn't hike out of here. Five seconds later, he's running down a heavily wooded slope, like sprinting, and then like jumping and sliding and diving over stuff. And I'm like, I'm sitting there on the couch, like a couch potato, yelling at the TV. And this is why Veronica gives me a bad time. It's not because I watch them. It's because I want to like interact with this guy and tell him that he's dumb. How does that make any sense? I'm literally yelling, you're dumb. You're going to break your leg. And then how are you going to get out of here? And I mean, I've gotten in big trouble. My wife likes to go to bed early. And sometimes I'll watch the show later after she's gone to bed because she refuses to watch it with me anymore. And she's come out there, and she like walks around the corner, and she gives me the looks. She gives me the look. Husbands know the look. Wives, sometimes you guys know the look too, but normally it's for different reasons. But, but my wife gives me the look, and that's when I like, that's, it's like the look that we give to our dog when the dog is being bad, and he like puts his tail between his leg and goes and like hides in the corner. That's pretty much the look she gives me when I know I've been too loud watching the show when she's trying to go to bed. 
many of us, we, you know, we've got different ideas on what it really takes, what we really need to survive. We've got a, a lot of different ideas of what we really need to survive, no matter how, how you're accustomed to living. We've all got a long list of wants, you know, what we, what we want to have to survive. We've got a long list of, of likes, of things that we think we need to survive, but there really are just a few things that we really need to survive. I've heard them described as, uh, as the core four of survival. You need water, you need food, you need shelter, and you need fire. The core four, water, food, shelter, and fire. Over the next couple weeks, I want to show you that these core four of survival, what we're using kind of as joking now, and we can laugh and yell at Bear Grylls as he's being a dum-dum, you know, running through the woods. We can, we can laugh about that, but, but over the next couple weeks, I want us to look at those things and relate them back into spiritual truths as well. We're not going to be talking about them in the, the proper order, so if you think one is more important than another, don't do what I do for Bear Grylls. You don't need to yell at me. You can tell me later, and, and we'll deal with that. But, but I want to draw your attention to a passage that I read this week in my devotions. I will set this up perfectly for you. I had this, this message all planned out. We were ready to go. We were going to be finishing up our Mastermind series. It was going to be great. And Thursday night, I was doing my devotion. I was reading a passage, and I just knew this is where we needed to be. And I said, thanks a lot, Jesus. I appreciate that. It's Thursday, a couple days away from Sunday. So turned my whole week on its ear. But I, I'd love to encourage you to open up in your Bibles to John chapter 4. It's a passage some of you guys are going to be familiar with, but I think we're going to be looking at it in a little different way than at least I'm used to looking at this passage. I'll give you a second to get there, but we're going to start in verse 1 of John 4. It says this, it says, John 4 verse 1, it says, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. Verse 4, he had to go through Samaria on the way. Some of you know this, some of you may not know that, and that's okay, but Jews and Samaritans did not like each other. They went out of their way to make sure that they could avoid each other. They did not want their paths to cross. I mean, most Jews would rather go, they would go around Samaria if they had to go somewhere. They would, they would rather take more time to go around. They would do what I'm telling Bear Grylls he needs to do when I'm watching his show. No, don't rappel down that big old cliff. Walk around. Find another way around. That's what the Jews would do. They would, they would take an extra long journey to go around. They wouldn't go straight through. And Jesus, we're just finding out that he had to go straight through. The reason they didn't get along, the reason they didn't like each other, you can trace that back to 2 Kings uh, chapter 17. 2 Kings 17, we're told that Assyria has conquered the northern tribes of Israel. And with that, they've actually taken some of the Israelites back with them. And uh, you don't want to leave an open land, so they actually then would send Assyrians to go live where the people of Israel used to live. They'd, so they took some, they took the cream of the crop, right, the brightest, the smartest, the best looking, and they left all of the, you know, the ugly stepchildren behind, and they, then they send people back in there to, to live there. 
where the separation between the Jews of this time that we're studying and the Samaritans are, is the Jews that were left over, some of them decided they, they were going to intermarry with the Assyrians. When they did this, the Jews now have their ammunition against the Samaritans. This is why the Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. So the Jews kind of took on this like second-class citizen mentality in regards to the Samaritans because they had gone against what they knew to be right. As we continue reading, you know, this is, this is all background information. I mean, you've got to imagine, too, I mean, this, this got pretty heated at times. And that's exactly what's going on here, this weird dynamic, this weird conflict between the Samaritans and the Jews. And there's, there's more to it than that, but that's, that's basic background information. We continue reading in verse 5 of John 4. It says, eventually he came, we're talking about Jesus, eventually he came to the Samaritan village of, of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. So one thing that we all need to survive is water. We need water. We have to have water. I mean, that's why it's one of the core four of survival. It's important. We know that we can't go more than three days without water. And in some climates, you can't even go three days. I remember some places I went on mission trips. We had to drink a gallon of water a day just to stay hydrated. I mean, we need to, we need to drink water. We have to have access to water. But we don't just need water to survive. We are water. Our bodies are like 60 to 70% water depending on who you trust. 60 to 70%. I mean, that's for those of you that struggled in school, that's a lot. 60 to 70 percent. Even Jesus needed water. It's hot out. He's been walking for a long time. It's a long journey. He's thirsty. I mean, if we ever needed proof that Jesus was man, here it is, right? We know that that Jesus is 100 percent God because he's God's son, and he's 100% man, which equals out to 200% awesome. Okay, I know that the math doesn't work. You can't be 100% God and 100% man, but Jesus is. So Jesus is man. He needs water. So we continue reading in verse 7. We'll read verse 7 through 9. It says, Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. As Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Uh, it says, this woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Up until this point in this very short conversation, it's just kind of getting started. Everything has been about one thing water, right? It's been about the physical need. But as Jesus did so often, he uses this opportunity to, to take a physical need and use that to show a spiritual need. And we're going to get into that here in a second. But Jesus uses his conversation to open up the eyes of the person that he's talking to. As we continue reading in, in verse 10, it says this. It says, Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. 
If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to. This is coming from Jesus, but in her eyes, right? Think about this conversation from the Samaritan woman at the well. She's like, okay, this is a, this is a Jewish person. First, he's having a conversation with me. Men and women didn't really talk much back then. It was a very different culture than we've got today. But on top of this, you've got the Jew and the Samaritan dynamic working on here. And now he's talking to me, and there's a Jew that thinks that I'm a second-class citizen. And he's telling me, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you're speaking to, you'd ask me and I'd give you living water. I mean, this is leading into a very, very interesting conversation. So what's this living water Jesus is speaking of? What is he talking about? We continue reading verse 11. It says this, 11 and 12, it says, But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? I mean, I would say that's a pretty logical question to follow it up with. And then, and besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? She's not understanding what Jesus is talking about. I don't think we would understand what Jesus is talking about. I mean, you think about how confused she must have been. I'd be sitting there and be like, let me get this right. I walked out here in the middle of the day with my big old, they'd have clay jars, big old things that they would fill water into. I walked out here to get water. I mean, this is back-breaking work. And then when I'm done, I've got to carry all this stuff home. I walk out here, and you're sitting here, and you ask me for water. And then when I respond to you, you tell me that you've got water that you want to give to me. This doesn't make any sense. Do you want water or do you not want water? You know, like, do I need to give you water? You're giving me water? Are we trading? What's going on here? I mean, this is kind of weird a little bit. The, the woman responds, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob? Right? She's falling back now. She's confused. It's hot outside. And she's falling back onto some of the stereotypes that she's got about this man and what she thinks he might be all about that's standing in front of her talking. Do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer, key in on this, how can you offer better water? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? How can you offer better water? You don't even have a rope. Why does she ask this question? How can you offer better water? Why would, why would she ask that? What is the physical difference? Remember, we're talking physical. We're not getting to the spiritual yet. We'll get to that in a minute. What is the physical difference between the water from her ancestral well and the living water that Jesus is talking about? What is the physical difference? I mean, living water, right? Let's, let's compare the two. Living water is moving, right? I mean, in survival situations, I'm not a survival expert, but if I was going to risk it and drink some water, I would much rather drink water from a water source that is moving than one that is not. That doesn't guarantee anything, but at least you got a better shot. Living water is moving. Water that's moving is usually better for you than water that is not. Still water has a tendency to stagnate. You've got a greater chance of contaminants being in there. When there are contaminants in there, you get sick. 
and we all know what happens when you get sick from drinking bad water. It's not good. We need water to survive. One of the worst possible things that could happen to this woman and her entire community, I mean, one of the worst things that could possibly happen would be for something to happen to their water source. This well is so much more than just an inheritance left behind by her ancestors. This is life. When you survive on a well like they did then, the wells now were a little different. But when you're surviving on a dug well like that, she's constantly living with a fear that the well's going to dry up, that something's going to get in there and make the water not good anymore. It won't replenish itself. You're constantly worried that the water is going to get stagnant. I mean, that's, that's a fear that we don't really have to worry about anymore. They did. This is a big deal. And now she's asking, how are you offering me better water? If we continue reading in verse 13, it says, Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving, uh, giving them eternal life. And she responds in verse 15, Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water again. Give me that kind of water. I don't ever want to be thirsty again. Give me that. This is when the conversation begins to kind of reach climax, right? From this point forward, conversation kind of goes a different direction. For this woman's perspective, it sounds too good to be true. You think about it. I mean, we're lucky. We walk out to the hose bib and turn the hose bib on. We walk into our bathroom, into our kitchen, and we... You know, turn the faucet on, and with one finger we could, I mean, this is a lot of work to get water, and they'd have to do it multiple times a day. This sounds too good to be true. And we know that most times when something sounds good to be true, it is, but this is the one time where it's not. The Samaritan woman and Jesus, they continue their conversation, and Jesus, in a loving way, if you continue reading, we're not going to dive into that. You've probably heard someone talk about that a bunch, or you've read the story yourself, but Jesus, in a loving way, then confronts and speaks to the sin in her life, and she admits, hey, you obviously have a line to God because you know things about me that you shouldn't know. And Jesus begins to answer her questions and eventually reveals himself as the Messiah to her. You can read what eventually ended up happening about this if you're curious. In John 4, verse 39 to 42, she ends up going to her town, and she's going to everybody in her, in her village, everyone in her town, and she says, come meet the man who told me everything I've ever done. Jesus ends up staying there for a couple days, ministers to them, people find out, they hear the good news, and lives are changed because of one conversation, because of one woman at the well that went out and did something about it. It's, it's incredible. It's a, it's a crazy story, and it all keys in on it on one important element that we need to survive. Survival 101 says we all need water. Common sense says we all need water. So let's answer the question that we talked about. 
with, in regards to living water, what is living water? We're not just talking about a stream, right? What is Jesus really talking about when he's talking about, when he mentions living water? How do we tie this in spiritually to need in our life, into lack in our life? How do we spiritually survive? How do we learn something from this? In this case, let's go back to John chapter 4, verse 13. John 4.13, the Samaritan woman has just asked how he can provide better water than the well that has sustained her people for generations. And Jesus' response, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. She still, remember, we're still talking physical. We keep reading, though. And it says, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. We've now crossed that threshold. You study the scriptures, you study the Bible. There are so many references of God, the Holy Spirit, of salvation, all being tied back to water. I mean, from John 7 38 to Revelations 21, Revelations 28, there's Isaiah 41, there's a ton of them. I couldn't list all of them, we'd be here all day. The water of life. Springs of life, living water. These are all things that get mentioned all throughout Scripture. They continue to come up and they reference our need for God spiritually. Our need for God physically. They reference salvation. All of these things that we need, that physically we need water to survive, and God, knowing that, He ties spiritual principles into physical ones. To help us understand. It's, it's crazy how much God loves us. How much he tries to simplify this to make sense to us. But I've got one simple question for all of us this morning. Are we living our life with living water? Are we living our life with living water? Is the water of your life living or not? Remember, living water is moving. It's alive. There's life there, right? There's life in it, and there's life given from it. When water stops moving, when it stops growing, when it stops coming in and coming out, when there's not sources feeding in and going out from it, that's when it stagnates. That's when it dies. Here's a good gauge. So I was reading this, this passage this week. And I, I referenced it a minute ago. As, you, as Jesus says, as he's beginning to tell her about this living water, if you knew who you were talking to, if you knew what God wanted to give you, you would ask and I would give you living water. What is her response? I think we mentioned it before, like I said, but it's, it's just too good to be true. A gauge of whether or not we're living with living water in our life, do we still have moments where we think about what God has done for us, when we think about the cross, that we still think it's too good to be true? It's challenging. When I sat at my desk and I was typing that out, it hit me like a load of bricks. Because if we're being honest, it's very easy to lose and skip over those moments. We get so used to reading our Bibles and so used to hearing every week 
So when we go to groups here and again, right, we have all of these different areas where we learn all about what God has done for us, but it's really hard to maintain that this is too good to be true mindset. Challenging. I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to you. I'm a person just like everybody else, but does it still seem too good to be true? I mean, everything that we see, he created. Everything. Every detail of our life, he's, he's connected into. He's provided for us in so many different ways. He's stepped in and met needs in so many different ways. And even though everything didn't go how we wanted it to, right? I'm not the only one that's had troubles in my life. We've all had them. He's actively involved because he loves us. And he loves us so much that it really is too good to be true. Does your life, your relationship with God, does it look more like living water or does it look like a stagnant, lifeless well? It's harsh words. I don't say them lightly. But if we were to look at our heart, if we were to look at our life, what does it resemble more? 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. My prayer for each one of us this morning comes from uh, Psalms 51 verse 12. And as we examine ourselves, as we do what 2 Corinthians talks about, that passage we just read, my prayer for you is that God would do what Psalms 51.12 says, and it says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Can I pray for you this morning? I don't need to know the answer, the real answer to the question that I asked you before, but you do. We all do. I can't answer for you. You can't answer for me. We have to test ourselves, not test other people. But as we test ourselves, I pray that God would restore the joy of our salvation. That first time, when the message was still too good to be true. When that living water, we got our first taste of that. That God would restore that. That we would live our life in that place. I don't want to be stagnant. I don't want to be apathetic and complacent. I mean, those words, they, they just sound bad because they are. But their struggles are things we have to guard against. Does it still sound too good to be true? Thank you for listening to this message. We trust that it's left you feeling loved, encouraged, and challenged to grow. If we can help you grow in your walk with Jesus, please connect with us on Facebook or on our website. We would ask that you subscribe and rate this podcast so that we can continue to stay up to date with you on what's happening here at Christian Life and so that others can hear. We'll see you next week on the Christian Life Podcast.